You may be seated. Let's pray. Our God, we thank you for bringing us once again into this place that we might know you as you have been encountered by your saints throughout history in word and sacrament. We ask that you will help us to uh, receive you well this day and to follow you ever more faithfully. In Christ's name, amen. amen. There is a nationwide problem that is known and experienced and suffered by many even here with us today. It's a failure of our system, a failure, I think, of our very way of life. It's not a disease. It's not a disaster. It's no flu or famine. No, no, no. I think it's much worse than that. I'm speaking, of course, of the meeting which could and should have been an email. (laughs) I know not when this despicable plague strikes your vocational household, but for me and mine, the teachers, It's usually as soon as the sheep have scattered and the shepherds are crammed into one small math classroom to discuss shirt length or shoe style or some other such thing that's pressing for the betterment of the youth, of course. And at that moment, while perhaps appearing to take notes diligently, maybe I email a coworker, why is this necessary? As long as I can remember, I've been a why is this necessary kind of guy. It's one of my longest lasting character flaws. Andrea can bear witness to this. You've probably also gathered that I have a bit of a flair for the dramatic. So being a philosophically inquisitive and overly dramatic lazy child, I became a little Socrates anytime my mom told me to brush my teeth. But mother, why? Why is this necessary? But even today, making the bed feels a little bit to me like tying your shoes after you take them off. It just doesn't seem to make sense. It seems to be rather unnecessary. So when we come to a text like we have today, in which our Lord, who is, of course, without sin, was baptized with a baptism for the repentance of sins, I have to ask, why is this necessary? He who has no sin seems to have no need for repentance, unless I'm misunderstanding repentance. John the Baptist, this peculiar prophet, shows up calling the people to repent, to turn from their sins in preparation for the coming of God's kingdom with the Messiah. But if he is who who is without sin is to cast the first stone, I also think he should probably be the last one into the water. Doesn't that make sense? But our Lord was, in fact, baptized. So we have to think there's obviously something going on here we have to get at. And that's our question that we're after this morning. Jesus is without sin, so why did he receive this baptism for the repentance of sin? After all, it's not the well who need a doctor, but the sick. It's not the clean who need to be washed, but those who are dirty and soiled. Parents, if you tell your child to wash their hands and they have just washed their hands, are they going to just quietly go do it? No, because it feels unnecessary. So we're actually, in our text, going to pick up with verse 9. That's the, the start of this pericope, the start of this episode where we see the baptism proper. And St. Mark says, starts us off here with the setting. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Now, sometimes I have to wonder if we've lost a little bit of the impact of these texts because we know them so well. See, these places, Nazareth and Galilee and the Jordan, they're kind of the places that grow and they glow in our minds because we know how important they are. But if we switched it to our own vernacular, it might sound something like this. See, back then, Jesus came out of Gadsden in Etowah County, and was baptized by John in the Cahaba. 
See, do you hear how absurd that sounds to us? Change the setting and we see how mundane it really is. These are real people in real places. Our creeds do something really similar. They locate the time of Christ's crucifixion in world history by name-dropping Pontius Pilate. That's because Jesus lived at a very specific, particular moment in history. And as our text will show this morning, he ministered in a very particular place. This is not once upon a time or a galaxy far, far away. It's not Mount Olympia or Mordor. It's not Narnia or Neverland. The things we're talking about happened in recorded human history, in real places, to real people, in real life. And one of the greatest scandals of our faith, I think, is that the life work of a man who lived 2,000 years ago has meaning for you and for me today. That one particular man in one specific place accomplished something on behalf of all people. To paraphrase St. Paul, Jesus used his divine status, his divine personhood, not as an excuse to avoid suffering and pain, but instead he humbled himself, stepping into our world and experiencing all that afflicts us as his people, as his creatures. So why was it necessary for Christ to be baptized? Well, here's our first reason. Jesus was baptized to give us a picture of his incarnate death, to give us a portrait of who he is. He is the divine son of God who stepped down into the depths of human life. So when he slid down the banks of the Jordan, he was sliding into all our human frailty. When he descended the river, he went into the depths of your very existence. He knows from the inside what it means to be a human. He accepts our situation, our lot, as his own. All the joys and the heights of life, all the depths and all the despairs, he knows them. He takes them. He experiences them with us as his own. And to be clear, this is not a game he's playing. This is not some simulation where he only appears or seems to be human, but he's really just a spirit hiding among us. No, he takes our cause even unto death, his own death, which is very real. This, after all, is what baptism symbolizes, isn't it? Baptism is death. Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Jesus' baptism in the Jordan anticipates and points to his cross on Calvary. And that's because water, if you've noticed, is a natural-born killer. Ask Pharaoh and the Egyptians. Ask Jonah. Ask those last two unicorns who had the, thought they had just the chance to hit snooze one more time. Water kills. That's what it does. In the ancient mind, the ocean waters were a symbol of chaos and that which threatens us as civilized people. By the way, that's why Revelation speaks of a glassy sea. So when our Lord stepped down into the waters of that river, he was stepping down into the death and chaos, the whole sound and fury of human life. So to return to that big picture overarching question, why was Jesus baptized? Well, first, he was baptized to give us a picture of his incarnate death, to give us a portrait of who he truly is, the Son of God who dies on the cross for us. But this descent has reached its depths, and the grave cannot keep its prey. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open, and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. So first, Jesus was baptized to give us a picture of his incarnate death, but secondly, he was baptized to open the way of his, his resurrection life. Water kills, but water also gives life. 
there's a reason nobody lives in the desert. There's a reason almost every major civilization formed on a river, or as they called it, living water. Water is the source of life. And I think it's pretty cool how Mark, St. Mark, cinches some things together for us. We all know the word schism. It comes from the Greek word schizo, which means to split open, to tear open. And Mark uses this word in his gospel exactly twice, two times. Once here of the heavens being torn open, and a second time when the curtain in the temple was torn. The curtain which represents that which separates us from God. See, Mark wants us to see that at the very beginning and the very end, Christ's death removes our separation from God. There's another cinching, another tying together that St. Mark does in the next part here. He says, When the heavens were torn open, he saw the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And we, as good readers, right, we say, wait, I've seen that before. I've seen the Spirit hovering before, haven't we? Because there was another time when the Spirit hovered over the waters, over the face of the deep. And that's in Genesis 1-2, in the very beginning, in the beginning of creation. But here, in baptism of our Lord, God is creating something new. In Jesus Christ, God is recreating the world, and this new creation of the world has its first fruits in the resurrection of Christ. And you and I, through baptism and faith, are also creatures of this kingdom. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, behold, the old has passed away, the new has come. See, Christ rose from the waters of death, victorious over the grave, reuniting us with the Father by the Spirit. We catch a glimpse, just a little taste of that here in his baptism when he rises up out of the waters. His baptism shows us his new creation, his resurrection life, and it invites us to take the plunge as well. The baptisms we'll celebrate this morning are an initiation, a starting point for these kids to walk in the resurrection life. Naomi and Moses will die this morning. They'll die to the old ways, to the old world, and they'll be instituted and initiated in Christ's kingdom. But so we're all clear, so we're all on the same page. This is not mere water in the font in front of you. For our Lord himself stepped down into the waters of baptism, hallowing them for all who might follow after him. I wonder if you remember the story from Exodus 15. So Exodus 15, the people have finally crossed the Red Sea. They've escaped escaped the Egyptians, passing through the waters to salvation, by the way. And so Moses sings this beautiful hymn, of praise to God. But before the echoes stop, the people grumble. You know, I'm something of a grumbler myself, so I recognize something very familiar in that. They're grumbling because the only water they can seem to find is bitter. It's not good to drink. It's not potable. So the people ask Moses, and Moses asks God, and God shows them just this random piece of wood, this random log. And when Moses throws this log into the water, it miraculously becomes sweet. According to the church father, Tertullian, this is a cameo of Christ. Like the log, Jesus descends into the waters of baptism, sweetening them for us, hallowing the waters with his very presence. Remember this morning that you too have passed through these waters. In a moment, you'll have a chance to remember your own baptism. Remember that you have been killed and made alive again. Renounce again the ways of this old world, And follow the Son of God into resurrection life. 
When John came preaching a baptism of repentance of sin, the sinless one was at the front of the line. Why? Why is it necessary? Because he who knew no sin became sin for us. The one who was on high was plunged into the depths for us. Jesus took your shame and your pain and your sin, and he sunk it to the bottom of the ocean. Gone. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead, we too might walk in newness of life. Let's pray. Our God, we thank you that you have opened for us the way to everlasting life. We pray that you will be present amongst your people as we celebrate this sacrament in the lives of two of your soon saints. We ask that you will be with us now, that you will help us to um, fulfill the vows we have made and to remember them once again. We ask this all in Christ's name and for his glory. Amen.